Welcome back to Podcast 32 of 2023. I'm your host, Kiev O'Neill. You can follow me on Twitter at OBKiev. Follow us at The Odds Breakers and follow us on social media slash The Odds Breakers. This episode is being brought to you by Betfred Sports. For 250 bucks worth of free bets, please visit Betfred Sports. Use the promo code ODDS23. Terms, conditions, and location apply if you'd like to support the Ozbreakers and benefit from our premium plays, please visit theozbreakers.com, click shop, and become a member. Pick any of our winning handicappers, including myself, to get our premium plays before the line moves. You can also support us on patreon.com, and if nothing else, please visit the Ozbreakers and become a free picks and telegram subscriber. My friends, baseball is rolling, so is the NBA. Very happy with my baseball lately. We just won our largest bet of the season on the New York Giants against the San Diego Padres in Mexico City under 21 and a half. I mean, we won the thing by like 10 and a half or 11 runs. I think it was under 20 and a half actually, but it's just so funny how you win an under by that much these days in Major League Baseball. I don't know what the books were thinking, but we're having a wonderful baseball year so far and positive in the NBA. So I got to be pretty happy with what's going on so far with my handicapping. UFC could use a little bit of love. We started out hot, went in a little cold streak here, but this is a big event coming up for UFC 288, and I can't wait to get into talking about that as well as a massive slate for the Kentucky Derby, Chris Felica from Fox Sports and Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk will be joining me to discuss the 149th run for the Roses. Can't wait to get into that. But before we get into that, just want to let you all know we are always looking for talent at the oddsbreakers.com. If you are a handicapper and want to help monetize with us, please feel free to email us at info at the oddsbreakers.com. Dot com Huge football season coming up as well as soccer and many of the wonderful sports that we love to talk about on this show. I also want to give a shout out to our handicappers, Eric Rocco, Patrick Gates, Sean Kanaki, all very seasoned horse petters as well. They love the ponies. They will be putting articles out at theozbreakers.com so you can get their perspectives on the Kentucky Derby as well as baseball, NBA, hockey, and all the other sports that we love to give to you here at theozbreakers.com. For football season 2023, we are going to start incorporating our models on our websites so any member or current member of any of our handicappers should be able to access that so you can see what our algorithms are shooting out for every single game in NFL and college football, as well as hopefully college basketball. We're working on that in the off season. That way you can get a fresh start on capping each game from a very simple perspective. You know, it gives you the metrics. Then you just have to apply the creative handicap, the situational handicap, adjust for injuries and weather, and there you have it. So going to share with our members 
that information as well as anybody else that wants to join on that membership level or any of our handicappers at theozbreakers.com. Last announcement is that starting next week, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, we'll be having our podcast streamed live to our YouTube channel, uh, Twitter, and any of our properties on social media. Feel free to join in and ask any questions, make any comments, agree or disagree on whatever myself and my guests are saying. So keep in mind, we are going to start doing more of a fixed time so you can all know when to join in coming this football season as well as throughout the summer before. All right, without further ado, let's get into some UFC 288. Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. And we'll get right into the main event here. You know, Sterling really surprised me over the past few fights. And to be honest with you, I'm not a Sterling guy. I I knew I know he's good, but I always thought that Peter Yan was better. But Yan just happened to kind of <laughs> fell off the, the the party wagon here. I don't know what's going on with Peter Yan lately, but he has been getting beat. He just lost his last fight to Mirab Dvalishvili, and he was a big favorite there. He lost to Sean O'Malley, which I thought was a terrible decision, but Jan was the one that was cut more, so I wonder, maybe that factored in a little bit. I think it was also the hype for Sean O'Malley that factored in more. But then he lost the one before that to Aljamain Sterling in a split decision where he had a lot of control of the fight, but uh, Aljamain had him on the ground and controlled him as well a ton. So it was just... You know, one of those situations. But, you know, Aljamain has really kind of blossomed here over the past year and starting to figure things out. He should have lost to Peter Jan on March 6, 2021, where Jan got disqualified for a knee. But then he beats Peter Jan, and then he beats Dillashaw. And I had a ton of respect for TJ Dillashaw. Um, not quite to where Sanhagen is, but guess what? Aljamain Sterling beat Corey Sanhagen. But here's the thing with Sehudo. You know, he was the best uh, fighter in the 135-pound weight class after he beat Dominic Cruz and then abruptly retire on May 9th, 2020. I remember watching this fight. I'm like, holy cow, you win, and then you retire immediately? I thought that was a little strange. He is 36 years old, and he's a little bit older. But this is like three years of ring rust on him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm sure everyone at Fight Ready has got him going for this fight, but it's still different when you're in the ring. Uh, as opposed to when you're not, you know, uh, he retired early for whatever reason, possibly emotional reasons. But now Aljamain Sterling's the younger guy by three years. And you see Cejudo here as the favorite. Man, uh, I'll tell you this. If this was back in 2020 uh, I, and Aljamain Sterling was maybe uh, close to what he was now, I would have thought that this should have been a little bit more of a pick em fight. But, um, now, I don't know why Cejudo's favored. Uh, I think he's got a big fan base. Um, obviously, Fight Ready is an amazing gym, but, I mean, Sterling is in his prime right now, it seems. And, you know, it, it, it seems like no matter what he does, he finds ways to win. He hasn't lost since Marlon Moraes by a knee in 2017. Now, Cejudo does have some pretty mean punches on him. At least he did uh, before he retired. Uh, eight KOs, zero submissions, 
innate decisions, but let's face it. He hasn't been fighting for a very long time now. And Sterling's been in the ring many times, getting through some pretty, let's just say, non-taxing victories on his body. Stats-wise, lots of it favors Cejudo, you know? You want to look at Bam Tam weight, you probably start with the grappling. They're both about two takedowns per 15 minutes. Cejudo's a little bit more accurate, but their takedown defense, Cejudo has the takedown defense, but I could see him making a mistake. Being that he has not been in the ring that often, Cejudo doesn't submit often at all. As a matter of fact, he hasn't submitted anybody in the UFC while Aljamain Sterling is at .89 submissions per 15 minutes. You know, so Sterling probably gets the nod in the submission department. If he gets down, he can possibly turn something on Cejudo. Uh, significant strikes. Aljamain Sterling, 4.7 landed per minute, 3.92 for Cejudo. Um, you know, it's just, it's just the situation where I like Cejudo, and I always didn't like Sterling. But at this time, I have to use my brain here and try to fade the uh, fighter that hasn't fought in three years. It's just an unfortunate situation um, as a fan for me because I was a Cejudo fan, you know, before this fight kind of came up. As a matter of fact, I didn't launch Henry Cejudo to retire in the first place, but now he's coming back after three years, all of a sudden fighting the champion because he that's you know he retired and lost his belt because of the retirement. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I wish I could see him take one fight before this, but we can't. So um, I'm going to have to have a small play on Sterling. It's probably going to be one star at about plus 100 is where you can get Sterling at right now. And uh, we'll get that in. Possibly even watch this a little bit because you might even still get a little bit better of a line on Aljo. The next fight, the co-main event, Bilal Muhammad versus Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns about minus 130, minus 125 in some books. Bilal Muhammad has cost me some money. Um, I, I've been pretty impressed by him. I've made some money from him earlier than I started fading him at the wrong time. Probably after, I was on Leon Edwards and that became a no contest. Um when I, and I probably started fading him. No, I actually, I was on him against Damian Maya. Then I started fading him against uh, Stephen Thompson and Vicente Luque, and I lost both of those. And then he beat Sean Brady. I can't remember if I had a, fight, uh, a play on that. I, uh, I might have, I might not have. But, you know, he's just been on an amazing streak, you know. Five KOs, one submission, 16 decisions. He only has three losses, one by KO, two by decisions. Well, you have Gilbert Burns sitting here, uh, st- strong, top competition here in the 170-pound weight class. You know, Burns, his latest losses, and when I say latest, his one before that was Dan Hooker back in 2018. He got a lot better at wrestling since then. He lost to Kamaru Usman in 2021 in Kamzat Chimaev. By decision in 2022, he gave Kamzat everything he can handle. And Kamzat's supposed to be the best guy in this weight class. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure if he can make weight in this weight class anymore. But then he beats Neil Magny by a triangle, beats Jorge Mastival by decision. And uh, Mastival's a good fighter. But, you know, Bilal's coming in. He's kind of looking for a title shot here. 
I think he will get one again at Leon Edwards, even though I thought he was getting beat. I thought that the Vicente Luque fight was just all Luque, just completely blowing it. Luque's been on a little bit of a slide. Um, Sean Brady was pretty good competition, though, being, what, 15-0 until he lost to uh, Mohammed by a KO. But here's the thing. This is going to be on the ground, okay? Because whenever Burns gets in trouble, he leans on his wrestling, and that's where I think he's kind of better than Bilal Muhammad. Now, the problem is that Bilal Muhammad has some very good takedown defense. He stops 92% of takedowns, so that makes me wonder, you know, how good Gilbert Burns will be if this is forced to be on his feet. Now, there's probably going to be a lot of uh, control at the cage for Burns and maybe even Muhammad here. So, you know, when I'm looking at this fight, Bilal's got a little bit better of the striking. If this goes to decision and Burns can't get his takedowns, I think that it's going to lean towards Bilal Muhammad. But, I mean, if Burns can kind of dig in and find an opening, he might be able to get a submission. But Muhammad's got zero submissions. So that's why you're seeing this fight closely lined here at minus 125. So I've been back and forth on this. At first, I leaned, leaned Burns, then I leaned Mohammed here. Uh, now I'm kind of just thinking this fight's going to go to the decision. Um, like I said, 18 of Mohammed's 25 fights have went to decision. And I just don't think that Mohammed's got the strength to knock out a guy like Gilbert Burns. And I think that Burns is going to try to keep this thing on the ground as much as he can. And it's just going to be a lot of delays, 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 you know, on this fight. Do you know what I find really interesting about this uh, welterweight class is none of these guys have seen to fight Colby Covington before, <laughs> you know? Uh, how is that even possible? How come Mohammed hasn't fought Usman or Chimaev yet, you know? <laughs> I know I'm going off subject a little bit, but a little, it seems a little strange to me. I know that, uh, you know, Burns fought Chimaev and Usman, but how did he avoid Colby Covington? So a little strange in this uh, welterweight class. By the way, I used to think the lightweight class was the best with, you know, uh, Charles Oliveira when I was on Charles before he was up top, uh, DP, Justin Gaethje, Benito Darius is now there, Chandler, and of course, you know, uh, Conor McGregor used to be there. Uh, but now I'm starting to think that it's the welterweight with Usman, Covington, uh Leon Edwards, the champion, Bilal Muhammad, Gilbert Burns, Shavkat Rachmanov. You know, that's where it stops right there. That is just absolute steel up top. But anyways, going back, I just don't see how this fight uh, being so important ends inside the distance. It is five rounds, and that's why you're getting a better price um, at minus 125. I'm, I see it at minus 130 over four and a half. So I, I think we're going to do that. We're going to go minus 130 that this thing goes over four and a half, definitely worth the five cents uh, to uh, play this. And this will be my largest free play at two stars. Well, I've been with the best and I beat the best. I've retired more men than social security. <laughs> Next fight in the main card is Jessica Andrade versus Jan Xianen. And man, I am so sick of Jessica Andrade. She is smaller Yet she's extremely strong, 5'1". 
uh, 6.84 significant strikes. Jan has 5.45. She's technically the better wrestler, but man, it's just one of those situations where I think she's kind of finally starting to fade a little bit. And not saying Jan has done a great job at her size, losing to uh, Marina Rodriguez in a split decision. Carla Esparza she lost to by punches. And that's fine because Esparza, you know, obviously was the champion uh, for a little bit before she got beat by Zhang. So it's it's not like she's bad or anything. But Jessica Andrade is just so tiring, yet how do you bet against her? She did lose to Erin Blanchfield, who's probably the biggest up-and-coming lady in the flyweight uh, division. Bl- uh, Blanchfield beat Molly McCann, Aldrich, Miranda Maverick. She Just like eight or nine in a row, she's, he, she's whipped up. But, I, I mean, the problem with, or at least the problem that I'm having with this one is Jan is actually the older fighter at 33 years old while Jessica Andrade is 31. So it's like you still get a little bit of youth with Andrade, but Jan Andrade is just a lot smaller, a lot shorter. Man, women's MMA has driven me nuts lately, and I, I lost my mojo in a little bit. Uh, I'm prob- I will be jumping back in. I'm just not so sure if it's this fight. But I really want to bet Jan here in this fight. And I think you're getting a good price on her just based upon the fact that she lost to Rodriguez and Esparza. You know, uh, one was a split decision. One, she just got caught. You know, Andrade, more of the grappler style with eight submissions. She does have nine uh, KOs, but she's also been KO'd and submitted uh, quite a few times. And there's just a big size difference with Jan sitting here at plus 170. So I'm going to seriously consider her, but I'm just not quite there yet. Going to check a few other places uh, and maybe watch a few more of her fights. The next fight with Movzar Evliev is unfortunately canceled with Bryce Mitchell. So another guy stepped in in Diego Lopez and... Lopez is a decent fighter, 21 and 5. His last five are th- is 3 and 2, but he's fighting an undefeated Movzar Evliev. And I, I just can't imagine Movzar losing this fight. Unfortunately, he's not a finisher. Movzar's last, what, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six fights have went to decision. The one before that went into the fifth round. And this is back when he was in the M1 challenge, you know? So it's just like, what do you expect out of this? You know, I I, I expect him to be able to finish Lopez. Uh, Lopez has been knocked out twice. He's won. Th- he's lost three by decision. This is the 145-pound weight class here. But the problem is we don't even have a number on this fight. Um, and if it's minus 300 or higher, how badly do you want to put Movzar in a parlay when he just sits there and fights the whole time where he could possibly even get caught by, 
you know, a right or a left or a kick or something by Lopez. It's not like Lopez is bad. I mean, he's 20 and five. He's a pretty good fighter. I think Bryce Mitchell's better. My guess is this is going to be minus 350, minus 400. So we'll see what happens when the uh, odds come out on this. But I just expect Mozart to take care of business being the fighter that he is and no losses. And, you know, but if this price gets crazy out of hand, I mean, you'd probably get like Lopez, who has seven KOs, 11 submissions with a dang good price to, to win this inside the distance. Maybe you just go fight when he wins inside the distance by finish rather than just by like a, a KO or a TKO or anything like that. You, you would get a massive price. Anything 10 to 1 or over is something I could possibly take a stab in. But right now, I think that Movzar should be... Uh, at least 80% in favor to win this fight, which is really minus 400 if you want to calculate what 80% is. Next fight on the card is Crone Gracie versus Charles Jordan. And I don't even know why this is a featured fight. You know, what the heck is Gracie deserve to be on a top card here when he's fought in the UFC twice. He only has four professional fights in the Risen before that, or the Ryzen. I mean, he, he lost to Cub Swanson, okay? Cub freaking Swanson in 2019. You know, he comes back, but geez, was that a long time ago, you know? And then now you get a, a, a top fight card with, Charles Jourdain, who lost his last two fights against Shane Burgos and Nathaniel Wood. You know, he beat Lando Veneta. I'll give him that. Veneta's not that good. <laughs> I was going to say he's okay, but he's not even okay. Andre Ewell, seriously? Yeah, this is just an ugly fight all over the place here, and I just I don't even know how to cap it. So, unfortunately, I'm passing on the last fight in the card. But I do want to mention, I'm not going to go through everything. Drew Dober is an interesting minus 210 against Matt Frivola. I, I, I maybe find a dance partner with Drew Dober. I think Drew, Drew Dober takes care of business. You want to lay the minus 210, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, Dober's fantastic. I, Kennedy Nichukwu against Devin Clark. Devin Clark drives me nuts because all the dude does is when you bet on him, he loses. When you fade him, he wins. He's just kind of all over the freaking board. Uh, Kennedy's like five inches taller than him, though. So I just I can't see Kennedy blowing this. I think he should be able to intimidate Clark, but he's also minus 190. And so, you know, maybe that's your dance partner that you use with uh, Drew Dober, just back-to-back right there. Chaos Williams is a big favorite. Uh, Marina Rodriguez is an interesting fight, and uh, she's only at minus 135 against Verna. Uh, Jenda Roba. Now, Rodriguez should have been better her last few fights. She lost two of her last three. One was by split decision, but Verna's a pure wrestler. Will Marina Rodriguez be able to stop the takedowns? That's really the biggest question in this fight for me because if you look at her numbers here, uh, grappling, her takedown defense is 65%. And for women, that's a little bit, okay, that's probably average, but you want better than average in this situation. Verna, 2.31 takedowns per 15 minutes. She should get the strikes. Um, 
significant strikes is obviously more for stand-up fighters in general because they're not on the ground, 4.8 to 2.45, and that's why she's the slight favorite. We'll see if she can get out of this fight, but maybe take a look at her by decision. All right, my friends, well, best of luck in the UFC. Let's get into a little Kentucky Derby action with Marco DiLangelo from Wager Talk and Chris Felica from Fox Sports. Now I'm very excited to welcome back two of the elite handicappers in sports betting and the horse racing world. You know them as Mr. Marco D'Angelo from wagertalk.com, Mr. Chris Felica from Fox Sports. Please follow them on Twitter at Marco in Vegas and at Chris, F-A-L-L-I-C-A. Guys, thanks for coming back to talk about the 149th Run for the Roses, my friends. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing good, but I'm a little jealous of my colleague because he's actually at Louisville and uh, getting to go to the Derby. Uh, that's a bucket list. I got to get that crossed off one of these years. Uh, get down there. It's just uh, doing so many shows. It makes it, it makes it tough. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It's a. It's an. I didn't get to go last year. Um, obviously, 2020 I didn't get to go, so I've missed a couple in the last few years. So I figured it was a great opportunity to. Uh, to get back in what is always a, a fun weekend to see some friends and hang out with some people and uh, look at what a, I think is a, a wide open Kentucky Derby. Well, Chris, I'm sure you're not all that broken apart about missing Rich Strike last year, kind of oh, crawling around gosh. the edge and taking first place oh. out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, yeah, that 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 I will say this: that result is having a, an effect on my my future betting in the Kentucky Derby uh, just because of the improbable, like the horse was, you couldn't have the horse. And you, you've seen that now in this race where a horse, you really couldn't make a, a case for one. And, and I had epicenter, I had other horses in there. So I'm like, I'm probably going to take a little bit of a step back in terms of this year, in, ter- in terms of the, the amount of bankroll I'm actually putting towards the Derby, just in case we continue to get, uh, unfathomable, unhavable results. So, uh, yeah, that, that that result did not treat me well last year. That left me very, very bitter. Yeah, yeah, Marco, that was a right out of left field. It seemed when, when he kind of came. Around. He costed me too because I think I had numbered two and three correct, which would have which would have paired up very nicely. If you got, I nailed the. I had the exacta cold with the two horses that were coming down the stretch <laughs> until rich strike come and if you remember i had a pretty nice future ticket on epicenter yep. and i thought halfway down the stretch all i saw was i forget if it was 31 to 1 or 33 to 1 but i saw balloons <laughs> about to go off of uh, epicenter across the finish line first so there wasn't anybody more disappointed <laughs> than i was and, and you know hats off to rich strike for what he did but remember, guys, we had to have absolute suicide fractions mm-hmm. in that race last year for that to set up for the closer. And even with that, he had to zigzag through the entire field. And there were four different points in that move that he made that he had to make a split second decision. And every one of them was right and worked perfect for him that he never had to check the horse once to get up by a head. Yeah. Fun. Fun times. Thanks for bringing that back. <laughs> well, you know, I know that Chris might be thinking about his late move on country house a couple races ago. And that was a nice one for him. That paid him a good, nice little exacta box from 
what he told what you told me during that derby and uh you know it's just kind of interesting you got a, a massive field of horses like we always see and it's the most handicapped race you know at least i i know the breeders cup's the big thing with the horse ra- racers but this is like for na- for the nation and for the world even this is probably the most handicapped race so um yeah it, it, you, you get the you get the most number of casual betters it's the kentucky derby it's the run for the roses i mean people who aren't going to bet on another horse race throughout the year are going to bet on the derby and getting back to what we were talking about with Rich Strike last year, I wonder if that's going to have an effect on the wagering pool where people are going to bet these hopeless-looking long shots on paper just because it did happen last year, and people are going to hope that lightning strikes twice and uh, and they get at the price horse, and that might bring some of the shorter shots, maybe some of the mid mid prices in the race. You might get a little better price on the favorite Forte or Angel of Empire or someone in that 8, 10, 12 to 1 range that maybe you anticipated getting. Yeah, yeah maybe. Uh, I hope like it help makes my numbers better. I guess it's the best way to say it, right? Uh, you know, maybe maybe that will help a little bit. Mattress Max is going to come in and probably have some sort of influence and I'm I'm hoping to not be on the horse he's on, I guess. But uh yeah, exactly. you, you know that that's gonna happen. And uh if we can get some inside information on what he's gonna do, I'd love to know it. But uh isn't it the isn't he, was it wasn't he just gonna bet the favorite? Is that what I, I thought I heard? Just that's what he one. usually does. He's gonna bet Forte if, in, if, in, in this race. If, and run with it. He he's a great character guy. I, I mean I've got to talk to him on interviews several times. In you know he obviously he loves horse racing. He's the owner of Run Happy. You can't you can't watch a horse race without seeing a commercial for Run Happy. <laughs> you know, in uh, he ties these to all of his promotions, and uh, the guy is legit. Um, you know, you talk about the generosity that the guy has. You know, yeah, all these bets are just hedges for what he's doing promotionally at uh, his store, but to do it. And do it the way he does it. Um, it's amazing, and he's actually a legend in Houston. Um, I do a radio show here in Vegas with uh, TC Martin, and he goes down to Houston a lot because he's friends with Dusty Baker. And every time he's down there, he gets to meet uh, Mattress Mac, and people just come up constantly the whole time at baseball games, whatever, asking him for take a picture with them, you know, family members and kids. And he, he's a celebrity. He's just a cool gen. It's like you're having your grandfather, you know, you just, you know, he's that kind of guy, you know, warm and fuzzy. Yeah. He really seems like a cool guy. I've been following him for years. Never got to meet him. Obviously you're a lot closer to him than I am, but uh, it's definitely something that we follow as sports betters because he certainly affects things in these, massive games but before we get into the kentucky derby a little bit now i got the bear on i got marco on i gotta talk a little football you know guys uh so you know chris i don't remember a year where the big four teams clemson ohio state alabama and georgia are all changing out their quarterbacks in the same year you know it's like almost like chaos up there up top I mean, do you have any early thoughts on what it should look like kind of coming in here and maybe even an early play that you might have made in college football? It's interesting because I was actually kicking around a thought in my head like, I would expect Michigan to be favored to win the Big Ten, 
uh, just because of the number of returnees that they have. They beat in Ohio State two years in a row. They get Ohio State uh, in Ann Arbor this year. So, like, uh, I'll be surprised if Michigan weren't the favorite to win the Big Ten, and we'll see if that ultimately uh, pans out this year. But I have made one bet. Obviously, there aren't uh, any win totals or such that I've seen up yet. But I did bet Oklahoma to win the national championship at 70-1. to uh, now, I don't necessarily think Oklahoma is going to win the national championship. Um, but at the same time, if they win the Big 12, they're going to be in the playoff. And the Big 12 is the most high-variance league where we've seen TCU go 5-7, and seven, make the playoff. Uh, we've seen Kansas State go from losing record or right around 500 to have uh, a conference title season. We, we, we've seen a, Iowa State go to the conference title game. Like, we've seen a lot of teams in this league who happen to – maybe lose a couple of close games here and there. Uh, the following year, the, the the trend reverses itself, and they wind up winning those games. If you look at Oklahoma, I mean, you got Dylan Gabriel back. Those young running backs that they like so much played in that bowl game against Florida State last year, and they nearly won that game against a Seminole team that most people think are a top 6, 8, 10 team this year. So that, they're all back. Uh, Jeff Letty, Letty the, the offensive coordinator, is back. They did well in the portal. And if you look at the schedule, they don't play Texas Tech and they don't play Kansas State, two teams that have traditionally given Oklahoma trouble. And that's that's a great thing for the Sooners to miss those two teams. Uh, they Every game they were in last year with Gabriel, a quarterback. Gabriel didn't play against Texas, and then obviously didn't play the second half against TCU. But all those other games that he was in, they, they were in all of those games. So you think if maybe you can get a little positive regression in those close calls, Maybe Oklahoma finds itself in the Big 12 championship game. If they win, they're going to be in the playoff, and 70 to 1 is a ticket that you could probably do something with. Yeah, well, I didn't think of Oklahoma. You know, I did I did look at Oklahoma and Michigan knowing that they do bring their quarterbacks back, and I was kind of thinking Michigan is the favorite. But, you know, I just, uh, with the newer head coach, I, I just didn't think of it. But 71 is a really nice price for a team that should be winning the big 12 um, this year. So I totally get that. And, you know, you can hedge that when you make the uh, playoffs and uh, probably an opportunity to even bet later as lines start coming out here in the summer that you can just get the, get them to the playoffs too. So love it, Chris. That's a great play. Marco, did you, I, I, I know you're knee deep in the NBA and, hockey and everything else baseball i mean is it a little early to ask you about uh college football yeah a little early on college football you know obviously did follow you know the nfl draft and that side of things and you know i got a you know two home teams now you know i gotta follow my pittsburgh steelers obviously and then uh the adopted team the raiders here and i just uh scratch my head with some of the things that uh <laughs> the raiders do and decisions that they're making but you know once we get through you know the nba playoffs dwindled down and the hockey playoffs too i mean we're in the middle of uh you know the golden knights uh run and what a series this is going to be if last night was any indication uh, with the Knights in Edmonton. It's going to be a fun series to watch. And I can tell you, I will not be betting any unders in that series. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is not one that you're going to see a 2-1. Uh, I don't think that you could see a 2-1 game in, in, in that one. All right. Well, mark that down, guys. Well, let's pivot to the NFL a little bit then. Marco, now that the Mitch Trubisky experiment <laughs> – uh, went precisely as we expected last year on this show. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, at least Kenny Pickett looks a little bit, uh, well, possibly like a real NFL quarterback, let's just say. What are your thoughts on the Steelers' chances here in the AFC North, which seems a little bundled up? It is. Um, obviously, you got Baltimore, you know, got their house in order with uh, getting Lamar Jackson signed. Uh, you've got Cincinnati that we, we know has got, you know, Joe Burrow, probably the best quarterback, uh, you know, in the division. Cleveland, you know, I'm just I'm not going to say anything with Cleveland because, you know, for every year for like it seems like the last five years you hear this is the year. This is the year. I'm still waiting for it. It hasn't happened with Cleveland. But as far as my Steelers go, um, yeah, they should be better. What they addressed in the um, the offseason here with some acquisitions is, you know, strengthen up the offensive line a little bit. Uh, they're going to make a more concerted effort as far as the running game goes uh Najee Harris is gonna they're gonna ride him which that's what you want to do when you've got a young quarterback and the thing about you know Kenny Pickett in he's got plenty of detractors there's no question about that there's just something about him that you can't describe that moxie that if you watch the last two games of the season last year with you know with them and the come from behind win against the raiders you know on the the 50th anniversary of the immaculate reception in horrible i mean it was frigid that night in pittsburgh you know and then do it again um the next game the that's gaining confidence of his teammates and i think that they're ready to take the next step but the problem is they're still two or three steps behind uh, Cincinnati and Baltimore at the moment, in my opinion. Well, you know what they did right was draft a bunch of Badgers uh, coming into the uh, <laughs> 2023 season. Uh, at least two of them were there, Marco. So uh, I like how you guys do concentrate on some of the guys that you know might not have a big name coming in, but could uh, you yeah. know definitely make some noise. And and the Steelers, man, I am never going to bet a win total under eight on the Steelers. Just the way that there always seems to be there at number nine so uh I, I love that and uh, let me give you a quick little wink wink about the badgers if you look at their schedule this year they avoid michigan state they avoid michigan they avoid penn state and they do get ohio state at home so if you think there's any hope for luke fickle to do something in his very <laughs> first year maybe that win total might come out a little shy so uh you know just a little food for thought here on my putting my homer hat here on uh on <laughs> good old Wisconsin. So well, we're all excited about the Luke Fickle hire. It was tough to see, uh, you know, our, our old coach go because we thought he was going to be more than an interim. Not, and I'm not talking about Chris, you know, our, our defensive coordinator that was coaching. I don't know why I just lost his name. But um, he. Jimmy Leonard. Yeah, yes, yes, Jimmy Leonard. And he played for the Jets, as Chris knows. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very excited for uh, Fickle definitely coming in. But, you know, another. Th I should have asked Chris about Aaron Rodgers and this Jets hype, actually, <laughs> man. I, I, I totally spaced that one. Chris, I bet you're just jumping through the windows, aren't you? Well, you know, they, the Jets clearly needed a quarterback. You could not proceed with the 2023 season with Zach Wilson as your quarterback. It just wasn't going to work and i think this is a, a chance now where they can hopefully say okay we got aaron Rodgers here for a couple of years maybe zach wilson can learn some things improve in one two years when aaron retires or whatever however many years it's going to be till aaron retires then maybe he's ready to step in and, and, and contribute so i mean they needed a quarterback they went out and made the move 
Uh, some people can argue whether it was they gave up too much or not, but they had to do something at the quarterback position or else there would have been a, a mutiny in that offensive locker room uh, amongst that receiving core. Uh, the, the, pro- the problem that I have this year with the Jets is are they going to get a similar type of defensive performance uh, like they did last year um, w- w- with that unit? I mean, that, that they, they wasted a really good defense last year, and we'll see if they can uh, perform at that level again. But, but they've surrounded Aaron Rodgers now with some of the uh, his familiar targets from Green Bay and a couple of offensive linemen. So we, we, we'll, we'll see the pieces are in place for them to uh, hopefully make a playoff run this year. And there's no excuses this year now that you have Rodgers. You know, but here's the thing. I like the Jets and how they stand in this division just upon the fact that I think Buffalo didn't have a great draft and they lost their best linebacker. And they, they kind of seem a little bit more vulnerable these days. And Miami, what are you doing? Uh, Tua is one hit away from being done in this league. And your backup is Mike White or the dude <laughs> or the guy from Skyler thompson from kansas state i mean there is no answer there so i'll tell you right now i bet miami's win total i under nine and a half and that was a no-brainer for me i think that i can just see many ways that that one gets home so there's my uh little nfl deal for you uh marcos you need had something to say yeah speaking of getting home uh just got um, watching it out. You saw me looking away. My horse was just racing at the meadows. Just w- just win up in class uh, at five to one. So I'm uh, I'm stoked right now. Didn't expect her to win today. Whoa, she won! Excellent. Awesome! Congrats! Excellent. That's fantastic, Marco. She went first over, and that's not her style. She was three deep in the turn. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's been a good week for me. I tell you guys. <laughs> wow, she just won recently too. Yeah, she won since uh, City Lori. That's why she was uh, since City Lori was yesterday. Today was Southwind. Oh, Aussie, okay, okay. Just just win the uh, the ninth race at five to one, and unfortunately, not. I had a token bet because I always have a token bet on my horses, but uh, I didn't have the the big uh, the big ticket on it because I didn't expect it today. So my trainer's been doing a hell of a job. Uh, kudos to him, and uh, he's a old school guy. He's one of the few trainers that still races on hay and sunshine. Well, well Chris, <laughs> Chris, I didn't get any tips on from Marco on this. Did you, by chance? I, I, you know, I mean, no, I no, no, not at all. He's, I'm, he's some I'm, some I'm, confidence there, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Looking at my phone here, I'm not seeing any missed messages or anything. Jeez, Marco, come on, man. We, Chris, only, we all need a little bankroll for the weekend. <laughs> quit, quit leaving us in the cold, man. Jeez. All right. Well, let's get into a little Kentucky Derby, and just maybe I might be watching with Marco because I'm flying up there tomorrow, my friend, and I know you'll be sitting at your usual spot at the south point which is a very fun place to check things out unfortunately i'm not in charge here being that i'm uh, flying with the wife and for a 40th birthday party of some of our friends but um <laughs> i'm gonna see what i can do and try to sell it to them and uh, see if i can i'm able to join you over there at the south point or, uh, or or even I'll be happy to watch it to be honest with you, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm excited for the Derby and uh, I'll be texting you out there either way. And I'm curious about the weather coming into the Derby. Chris, do you have any? I saw rain in the morning. Is that still kind of the same what we're looking at? It it's, seems like it's changed three times in the last week. It was supposed to be beautiful last week, and then it looked like early in the week it was going to be 
rain oaks oaks night and evening and afternoon and then rain in the morning on derby day and now i see basically this kind of cloudy and a very very slim chance uh, of any shower so it looks like we're going to have a uh, uh, a fast and firm situation which is uh great for all the handicappers and the and the and the jockeys and the trainers and the horses themselves it means we're going to have a uh, hopefully a fair track and everybody will have a uh, no, they will not have the excuse of uh, I didn't like the slop, I didn't like the off going, didn't like the, the given the turf. Um, if, if indeed the uh, the forecast doesn't change here in the next uh, twenty four hours or so, uh, no excuses. We don't like that. All right. Well, we're gonna have to win then this year, my friends. And Marco, why don't you give us a brief refresher on paramutual betting and how it pertains to this race itself for any new listeners to the Ozbreakers? Well, paramutual betting, unlike sports betting, you're not betting against the casino. You're betting paramutual against everybody else in the country that's betting the Kentucky Derby. And obviously, all the money goes into this, the different pools, win, place, and show, exacta, trifectas, all of those. And what happens is the winning tickets, the number of winning tickets are divided by the total money in the pool. So minus the track getting their cut, you're competing against everybody else. And as Chris said, when we started the show, this is the Super Bowl. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is an event. People want to bet it. They want to be a part of it. But they don't know, Jack, you know, you know what about <laughs> horse racing, but they're going to bet this race because they want to be a part of the party. And that puts dead money into the pool. So, and I tell people all the time, the easiest way to explain this is if you get – the two favorites run first and second. Maybe on a normal race card, you might be lucky for that exacta to come back $10.80, $12. But that same exacta with those odds in the Kentucky Derby will come back double that because of the dead money in the pool. So that's why we get some of these outlandish prices. And if you do get one of those long shots that run on a ticket, the average bettors generally are not going to have them. And you're going to get balloons as a payoff. A uh, couple years ago, you know, we made the big score and I didn't even have the winning horse. It wasn't my key. The horse that ran second was my key because I was using a long shot um, looking at Lucky and uh, he, you know, came storming for second at, at a big number and he was in all my tickets. Uh, so we took out $390 investment that day. We brought back nine grand with trifectas and exactas. Uh, is so it was fun for me that way, but this is why smart betters, advantage players love these big uh triple crown races because you do get a lot of dead money. And if we get a winner in the Derby and the Preakness, then the Belmont, you know, you get even more value because you have people coming to see a possible triple crown winner. You get people want to buy, you know, token tickets on. The horse going for the Triple Crown, $2 tickets just to have them as sports memorabilia if uh, the horse does win. So fun times, and I love this time of the year. So unlike Chris, when he opened up and said maybe he's going to pull his uh, you know, bankroll back in the Derby, I think because this <laughs> one's wide open, I, I might have to go to the secondary wallet too. You know? and, uh, we, we go a little deeper. We got you know two wallets and a rubber band. So we're going to definitely tap two of the three uh, money outlets in the pockets. Yeah, well, Chris meant he's going from seven figures to six. That's all. So, you know, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll be fine. 
No, you are completely right. I mean, parimutuel betting, and this is why there's so much opportunity in this race, especially if you feel like you did your homework and, you know, can try to uh, get the most combinations possible without, you know, sacrificing too much, I guess. But you want to put it out there and so you have those opportunities to win. And that's what you've been so good at, Marco. Um, you know, there will be times where people say, I missed it by one. But you're not kind of the way you play this. It's, it's really not a missed it by one type of situation with you. So that's what's uh, so great about wager talk and what you're doing over there, man. Appreciate it. And like I said, you know, this is the one race that, you know, maybe when you're constructing your ticket that you would have maybe four or five horses on the bottom spot. This is the time where you go ahead and stretch it to, you know, have seven or eight horses on that last line. Put those couple extra horses in uh, that are next in your depth chart at big numbers because, all all you needs one of them in there, That's and right. uh, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna pay for it. Um, I never go that deep on a normal race day card, but like I said, when the pools are inflated, go ahead and swing for the fences. Let's swing for the fences. Well, the early lines, Chris, say tap it trice at five to one here, and if I scroll down to the number uh, fifteen horse, drew the fifteenth pulse in Forte. He is three to one. Are these two horses deserving favorites in this race? I think they are based on what we've seen from the uh, the past performances in, in their careers entering this race. However, I want I want to make a, a little bit of a bold prediction here. It would not surprise me if Tappet Trice, when they when they first show those odds, if he's the favorite in the race. Um, I think I think he is kind of a a horse where most people will kind of like, oh, who's the who's who's the most likely winner? Who do you who are you most confident is going to run their race? I think Tappet Trice is probably the answer that that most people would give. I mean, he's a stalker. He's shown a little bit of he has a little bit of speed. He's battle tested. That the bluegrass with verifying showed that he can answer me a challenge. Uh, the, the only concern that I have with Tappet Trice is how often have we seen a Todd Pletcher runner come into the Derby. They get bet. They look great on paper. And then they really don't factor into anything. So that concerns me about Tappet Trice and Forte as well. Again, he's a, he's a juvenile champion. He's a deserving favorite. I'm a little worried though, just because of his bloodlines, like violence, his sire is not a sire known for, for dropping route runners here. Uh, is it a little concerning that it, uh, his speed figures have diminished the last couple of races as the races uh, is he's finally reached that mile and an eighth distance. I mean, he was two to five in the Florida Derby and was kind of fortunate to win that race. Yeah. Was it the outside post? Was it maybe just a uh, big, big, big race? First race off layoff, second race, he regressed. And now he's set to run a bigger, a bigger race. I don't know. On paper, yes, they deserve to be the favorite and the second choice, but I'm inclined to stand against both of them uh, in the win spot. All right. Well, there's a little hint on what Chris is leaning towards right now. Marco, are they deserving favorites? They're deserving favorites for coming in here. Both of them have their question marks uh, of how they can beat. I think Tappet Trice is the most interesting, you know, horse uh, because uh, if you look at him, he's just a physical specimen. Uh the problem with this horse is because he's so big, it takes him a while to get that 
that stride going. He's not one of those horses that have that big move, that wicked brush. Um, he's got to get into gear and he can grind you down. You go back and look at that stretch drive that he had in his last race, uh, him and verifying what a, you know, what a stretch duel those two had coming, you know, down the stretch in the bluegrass. And a lot of people do believe the bluegrass was the toughest of the uh, prep races, uh, you know, in the spring, his style, in his post position five is the only thing that concerns me. This is a horse that if you've watched him race him, and even in his last race, when he drew the rail, they find a way to get this horse to the outside. He doesn't like to be inside of horses. And usually, you know, in a race, you can find your spot. you got plenty of time. Get the horse out of tight quarters into where you want him. But the problem is this is a 20-horse field, and we know we talk about the outside horses all trying to leave to hold position. And for the inside horses, it's almost like a tidal wave uh, at the ocean coming you know, down to the rail. And he could get locked in, and he could be riding in tight quarters for more of this race than he would like to do before he finds that daylight to get out. So it's going to be interesting what Luis Saez does. Does he try to hustle him out of the gate and hold position or, you know, just, you know, take back mid pack and get to the outside into the two or three path. Uh, so the horse, you know, can rate and feel comfortable. That's the concern. I think between him and Forte on paper, I like Tapatroice better, but I think because of the, of trip concerns, that's my only roadblock. All right, no, fair enough. And I and I agree. They should probably be favorites just on what they did in the past. But I also think that they're maybe not much better than a few of these horses in there that have some better prices. And we're and uh, we'll get to that with some of our next questions. For now, um, I guess the next thing I would like to ask, and I'll ask you first, Marco. Is the strength of this card, uh, where would you rate it compared to other Kentucky derbies in the past, like below average, average, or above average? I think that going into this year's Kentucky Derby, it's more wide open because we haven't had that established superstar Granted, Forte is the horse that's caught all of the headlines because whoever is the two-year-old champion – until you lose the Kentucky Derby, everybody's pointing at you. We also know history-wise, horse that wins the two-year-old, you know, race, the juvenile, they generally don't come back and win the Derby. You know, they just too much of that two-year-old campaign taken out of them. But Forte's done what's asked of them. My thing here is because it is such a wide-open race. Part of it is, and I, this would be a good question for Chris, his opinion. I don't know how to group the West Coast horses this year. You know, every year you you know the strengths of the West Coast because we're, you know, I hate to bring them up, but we're minus the Bob Baffert factor. And I think the West Coast horses, you know, there's been no buzz to any of them. So when you're trying to compare races, it's like, were those was that a good crop out west or was the west really mediocre this year because and is that a subset because we didn't have all cameras following bob baffert everywhere um that's my concern on the strength of this race but we're going to have some horses when we talk about some long shots and stuff that if you like a certain horse you got to like this other horse too because of the last race and what they did in you know 
I'll go to it right now. If you like Forte, how can you not have Mage on your ticket? Okay, because he had he did everything in the Florida Derby, but win. Okay, he made if one of the you talk about wicked moves, and I say like Tapa Trice doesn't have that power move. You go back and watch the replay and watch the move that Mage made in that race. And this is a lightly raced Colt, very inexperienced. He swooped the field four or five wide, went into the turn last, and come out top of the stretch chasing down the lead horse and had a little bit of an extended duel in the stretch with the nine horse. I forget the name of it right now. But battled that horse, put that horse away, and then it was Forte that picked up the pieces. How many times have you seen – Two horses battle. The one horse finally puts the other one away, and what happens? It's the horse coming off of his back that's fre- you know has the fresher legs, so to speak, and gets up and beats him. And that's the only thing that got Mage beat. I think his jockey made a premature move. I think he should have waited till he was further out of the turn than going into it to start that move because he gave up just way too much ground and uh, a better drive. And another race under his belt, Mage could really move up the ladder, but he's going to be subject to the the trip. This is another horse that's you know going to be coming from behind, and not everybody gets a rich strike trip. <laughs> that, <laughs> was, tell you. that was uh, a cyclone mischief, I believe. That who um, yes, yes, you are right. Who who, who actually drew in today with the scratch yeah. practical move? And it's funny, I, I was writing up my column earlier and I, I literally wrote this sentence and I'm, I'm so happy you, you you and I are thinking alike here. I literally wrote in my write-up for Porte, if Mage nearly beat him in his third lifetime start, wouldn't you prefer Mage in a head-to-head versus Forte moving forward? Like, I, I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable and legitimate question, especially given, probably, the, given, given, yeah. the, given the breeding of, of both of them. You, you would think that Mage might like the longer distances more than Forte as well. You know what I like? I like the four times the, the odds are going to be on Mage <laughs> than it is on Forte. Yeah, and, and getting back to what you were saying about the West Coast horses, I think you have a lot to do. The Baffert thing has a lot to do with it. And, and you only have two West Coast horses in the race now um, with the scratch of practical move. One is Reincarnate, who I don't think really factors into the race. I, I think he he has to be on the lead and when he hasn't made the lead, he hasn't shown an ability to pass. I mean, he's been beaten by Angel Angel Vampire at Oakland. Confidence game is finished in front of him. Like, I, I think he's got the look of the throw of a throwout. However, the other West Coast horse in here, uh, the number nine horse Skinner, is someone who I am very interested in. Uh, in the Santa Anita Derby, he it was his second career start versus winners, and he ran a huge race and nearly got up and, and beat practice. And, and, and beat practical move in, in that race. Uh, it's clear that they thought highly of him early on in the second career race at Del Mar. He ran in the Del Mar Futurity as a maiden. Um, it's clear he's improved dramatically from two to three, and maybe there's more improvement to be had. Uh, yeah, he's a little bit more of a deep closer, like we were just talking about, and that puts you uh, at, at, the, at the mercy of pace and traffic. But I thought that Santa Anita Derby was really, really good. He's going to be prominent on my tickets, and I think of all the horses in the field, I have the least concern about him uh, being able to get a mile and a quarter. And he's twenty to one in the morning line, and I think he figures big time. Interesting. Yeah, and I was going to ask you what was the reason for the scratch of practical move. 
I, I didn't. I'm, I'm sure. He, I'm sure he either spiked the fever or yeah, spiked the fever. In the training. Yeah. Okay. So, so cyclone mischief is taking its place, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of. I, I bet you a lot of people, especially uh, a lot of people that don't like Bob Baffert so much, aren't too sad <laughs> about this scratch right here. And I, and to be honest with you, I was I put him as a very serious contender, you know, here in this race, and so now. We're looking down to Skinner, right? And and he's also a Yak Teen horse slash Baffert. Now, if the name Baffert was on, or sorry, this is uh, he's sheriffs, right? So yeah, he's Skinner, the judge. Yeah, he's not he's not a Baffert horse. But if the name Baffert wasn't on Practical Move, he would have been maybe five or six to one. I, I thought with Yak Teen's name there, it moves to ten to one. Is that fair to say, Marco? It is, but I actually think that this horse was Yak Team's. I don't think Baffert had this one. Okay. The other horse that Yak Team has in here uh, was Baffert's horse at the beginning for sure. Okay. Okay. And so, how many more Yak? We have one more from Yak Team in here. Well, on his name anyway. Which one is that? That's yeah. uh, Reincarnate. Reincarnate. Okay. Number seven horse. Okay. The seven horse. Okay. And I and under Reincarnate, I had nothing on him. So. That's interesting. Um, okay, well, there you go. That kind of uh, actually fills into my next question, too. My thought on the actual uh, strength, I think it's above average but not top-heavy. You know, I, I think, I you know, like we were talking before the show started, we can make a case for eight horses. So you got some above-average power but no California chromes, no justifies, right? Nothing there that, you know, brings it down to two-to-one or something like that on some of these big horses. So I, I guess that's my opinion. Is that fair to say it's slightly above average, uh, Chris? The field? Yeah. I don't, I, I, th it's funny. I actually, I think it's one of the weaker additions in turn. I mean, maybe it's because of weaker at the top is what we've seen uh, in a long time. But yeah, if you, if you went down the difference between in, in we Marco just talked about it too, at the Florida Derby, you talk about, Forte at seven to two and Mage at twenty to one. Like, what's the difference between those two horses? Not much. I think. I think it's kind. Of, it's kind of like the Big Twelve. To, to give you a little football analogy, like there are a bunch of teams that are like six through twenty, and you could put them in a in, in, in a basket and shake them around, and they're, they're all you could pull a winner out, and you'd say, "Oh yeah, I believe that." Whereas with some of the other with the SEC, you got the top heavy conferences. Okay, but like like here, I don't think. I don't think you have a whole lot of top-heavy uh, type horses, even with the favorite Forte um, and, and the second-choice Tapatrez. I, I think it's a, I think from a betting standpoint and a balanced field standpoint, in the in the depth of who can win, it's good. But I, I don't think we're looking at any potential Triple Crown winner or superstar uh, in this field. Oh, that's a good analogy with the Big Twelve. And congrats on your TCU. To win the Big Twelve at like sixteen or twenty to one. <laughs> well, they didn't win the Big Twelve. They got to the conference. Oh, game, right, but right. They didn't win. Oh, but you had yeah. you're able to hedge out of it. That's what. Yeah, it was. we were able to. Yeah, yeah. We, we, this, this, okay. the ticket that we had, we were able to. Uh, we we're able to do it. Why are we always in this position? We're always hedging out of our place, Chris. Yeah, see, see Buffalo versus Ball State, right? <laughs> oh, I don't, want to don't even remind me. Don't remind me of that. Oh, we only two guys in the world on Buffalo, except for people that live there. All right, let's move on. Uh, so, Marco, uh, looking at this race, uh, what do you think 
are the horses that are going to lead? Who who's going to be the pace setters? Are we going to get suicide fractions in this one again? I don't think you're going to see suicide fractions, obviously because of what happened last year, and because one of the horses that I think is going to be on the lead is the Japanese horse. Um, and I know there's two Japanese horses in here, but there's only one that I feel has a shot, and that's a uh, uh, Derma Sotogak. Yeah, Sotogak. But in He's 10 to 1 on the morning line. If you go back and watch the UAE Derby, and I know every year people talk, oh, you know, here comes the horse from Japan, same old result, 0 for 18 in the Derby. We all know that stat. But you go back and watch that race, and they put the horse on the lead, which was different than the style they had been racing with him before. This horse just absolutely swelled up on the front end. And when you watch the replay, what I want you to watch is not the horse, but watch the jockey's hands. He never moved his hands until deep, deep stretch. The horse was already drawn off on his own, but he just showed him the whip twice just to get his attention. And the horse accelerated with another gear and opened up a quick another length. Um, if he brings anything like that to the the Derby, and we know all of the traveling and how hard it is on these horses, he's going to leave out of post-17. And I can guarantee you, they have shown the jockey on this horse the replay from last year's Kentucky Derby probably a 100 times. Don't get in a suicide fractions. Get out there, get your position, and rate the horse. And he was able to rate in the Derby in Dubai. I think he can do that again. And as we see in sports and anything else, there's always an overreaction. And I think some of the other horses are going to overreact to what happened last year and not want to be right at the lead. And he could end up getting away with cheap fractions on the front end. And if they go slow, we've seen what's happened in the Derby, you know, in the last few years, authentic for one of them. Um, you let a horse alone on the lead, they can end up winning this Derby because they put up too much ground between them and those stalkers and late closers uh, and have something left in the tank. So for the first time, I really do think a Japanese horse has a strong possibility of making noise in this and by making noise, not setting suicide fractions, still being there at the top of the stretch. Interesting. And of course, you look at the time, 155.4 on the uh, UAE Derby, which is the only other race besides Louisiana Derby that has a mile and three sixteenths, right? It has the full length of the Kentucky Derby. You know, I, th that number always needs to be adjusted. And I think it's because of what, the elevation or the air or maybe the track at the UAE? You ask three different people, they're going to give you three different ways <laughs> that they look They look at the speed rate, and that's been the problem. You can't you, – it's try, you're trying to compare apples to apples, but it's not. It's apples to oranges, and you, you just can't put a 100% speed figure on what that race was over there bringing it here. Oh, that makes total sense. And Chris – uh, do you agree that he takes the lead, or do you have any other else, anyone else in mind? I'm curious. I certainly think from the from the inside verifying, he's going to go to the front. I do too. I, I think he's going to go to the front. I and again, this could be just maybe wishful thinking on my part, uh, and, and that I want to see a stalker closer. That's who I like in the race. I think Kings Barnes is going to maybe on the front. I mean, that Louisiana Derby race, he crawled up front. So how fast? Uh, is he really? I think reincarnate 
the only way he has a chance is to put him into the race early. I think the horse that drew in Cyclone Mischief, uh, the the only way he knows is is to go go fast up front, and and, and the Rocket can adds blinkers, and who knows if that's going to quicken him up as well. So, I I certainly understand and and respect what Marco is saying, but I think there might be a I don't think they're going to let uh, Dervis Sadagake get away with 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 an easy lead. At least I would hope. The jockeys are smart enough not to, because as Marco alluded to, we've seen it before. A horse like Authentic or um, uh, Medina Spirit, you let them get away, and, and and it's hard for them to come back. So I would anticipate there being not a suicidal pace, but I think they'll be company and a contested lead. All right. Well, let me put my conspiracy hat on, which my wife tells me I wear every day. Um, I think that verifying is going to want to take the lead for a couple reasons. Number one, he's close to the rail, right? So he wants to get the heck out of there, or at least get up front much better than going in the back. And I think maybe Brad Cox with him sets up the number 14 horse, Angel of Empire, right? Kind of coming up to uh, make that close here at the end. Now, I don't know if the fraction is going to be uh, that out of whack. And it's a great question. It's a million dollar question. But um, I don't know, Marco. It just feels like he's got two horses here. He can set up his uh, number 14 one that really looked good in the Arkansas Derby. Now, he didn't get the good buyers. He got 94 for that. Rather, some of these horses are at 100, 101. But I, I guess that's my conspiracy theory, Marco. Well, there's no question that verifying has to leave from post two. Um, I had verifying high on my list prior to the post draw. I don't like the post draw of two at all with this horse. Uh, we all know how bad it is to draw the one hole. Uh, this is a horse that's going to need to be near the front. That's what he likes to do. Yeah, you could say he's going to break out of the gate and go there, but how much is he going to have to use to go there and get there? Because everybody's there's so much speed from the outside that he's going to have to contend with. In the horse, if you want to do conspiracy theory, the 12 horse is the horse that will be used by the, the Brad Cox barn if they're going to use a rabbit. They'll send that horse, who I think has zero chance of winning this race, but he can set up Angel of Empire uh, you know, with the fast fractions. That's the one I would put the conspiracy theory on. I actually like verifying, but when my takeaway, when the post positions came out, if there was one horse – other than the post position one that got hurt the most for the racing style, it was verifying because I'm concerned he's going to get pinned at the rail or he's going to use too much to get in that top three spots uh, going into that first turn. Yeah, Jason's road is a total bad of the entry. I mean, and, and it was why I, I can see that being the head. The ownership group can be like, hey, we had the lead in the derby at one point and they can be happy. But I, I want to throw a little conspiracy back at you. Um, yeah, I think the I think the horse that could benefit from verifying being in the two hole is Hit Show on the rail. Now, now as we know, we know all the numbers about the rail and horses who uh, it had been bet from the rail before and the last one to win and and the last one to finish in the money and and really run a good race. Like if this horse wouldn't have drawn the rail, like I would have think Hit Show. Had a big shot in this race. His numbers are improving. 
He was probably the best in the wood um, when he when he got beat by Lord Miles. Lord Miles, he's been favored in every race in his career. Like, I guess the I guess the battle that you need to have internally with yourself is is thirty to one worth the risk of the rail, knowing that maybe the rail with the new starting gate isn't as bad as it was with the the, the the 16 horse gate and then the auxiliary gate where the angles were different. Like you've got a horse again, who, who with these bloodlines should get the distance, uh, maybe, maybe verifying breaks and it allows it show a little bit of room to maneuver off the rail. That way he's not, completely slammed into it at the start. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to spitball some yeah. some thoughts and ideas out there for long shot prices that maybe ultimately have a chance. No, that's exactly what I want to hear, you know, because I mean, the worst thing you can do is, you know, have a bunch of bets and all of a sudden it comes Forte number 1, maybe Angel Vampire which I think is going to get bet up. I don't think he closes 8 to 1. I think he's going to close more like maybe 5 or 6 to 1 most likely. Oh and yeah, he's going to get bet for sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean just all the shows I'm listening to. It sucks cuz I landed on two, but um, you know, it, it, it's just going to make it so that ticket's not going to pay nearly as much as one of these uh big hogs here. So that's that's what I'm looking at too. So I'm glad that you're bringing all this stuff up. And I guess that leads me into the next question, who would your sleepers be? Chris, and then we'll move to Marco. Uh, I, I mentioned Hit Show. He, he certainly would be one. Um, Skinner would be another one who, who I who I mentioned as well. And then two other ones who I have some interest in are Confidence Game, um, who's got two wins over uh, over the Churchill surface, which is a uh, very important factor for me. I'll come Derby to horses that have a good race over Churchill. I like to move them up a bit to show that they can handle. Uh, that surface, uh, confidence game was nineteen to one in the Rebel uh, on a wet track. He he ran huge. If, the tra- if there is some rain, uh, maybe you move him up a little bit. He's also shown that he can be comfortable from off the pace. So if he gets the distance, I mean, I, I don't know if he's going to be good enough, but at twenty to one or better, I'm certainly going to use him. Um, and then the other horse I, I'm going to look at is Rocket Can. Um, he's someone who reminds me a little bit. Of um, of Country House a couple of years ago, but Bill Mott, the trainer, we know that Mott has won a triple crown race. Drosselmeyer was a big long shot when he won. He's certainly going to be a long a long shot in this race. Thirty to one in the morning line. The two sprint races, the two year old Saratoga didn't really treat him well. But if you look at his route races, his route races have been good. Uh, he's he won the Holy Bowl. He was second to Forte in the Fountain of Youth. He was favorite of the Arkansas Derby where he had a wide trip and it was basically three across the track behind Angel of Empire who won the race going away. I mentioned before he adds blinkers so maybe he's in the race uh, a little bit earlier from that outside post and that way he doesn't get wide all the way around. Like I said, Country House was kind of the same way. He had a bunch of solid races as a three-year-old and was always bet and then put his best race forward on for Saturday in May. So again, it can, can rocket can win. I, I think he can, I think there's a chance and there's a scenario at 30 to one. I'm willing to, uh, to take a chance. So those, those are the four price horses. I am, uh, I am interested in. Oh, nice. Marco, who are your, well, and when I say sleeper, anybody, I guess you can say, but the two favorites. 
Yeah, well, I already talked about one of them. I think Mage has the license to make another big step forward. And like I said, if you go back and watch the uh, Florida Derby, did everything but win that race. And you got to think that with another race under uh, his belt, the experience factor. And that was another thing too, that's happened sometimes with green, you know, green horses. And when we use that term, that's the immature, you know, a horse that doesn't have a lot of experience. When he put the nine away in that uh, Florida Derby, the horse might've, you know, for him, there was nobody in front of him. He, he thought the race, you know, race was over. And sometimes a horse that's young uh, and gets the lead in, in deep stretch uh, eases up a little bit, relaxes and uh, lets that other horse catch him. And that was Forte that caught him. Um, Skinner is a horse that's interesting that has uh, potential here. The four horse that you did mention, this is a horse I have the biggest problem with. Um, on paper, I want to use him so bad. And if it does come up wet, he I want to use him even more. I just can't get past his last race was February. It, that's not a pattern that wins going into the Derby. You need one more prep race in there. Um, they thought about briefly putting him in this, the Lexington to get him a race, but that would have been too close to the Derby. I'm not a fan of racing in the Lexington and then coming back in the Derby three weeks later. Uh, if this horse is, you know, got enough miles under him and it's tight enough and you can train all you want in the morning, but I can tell you from personal experience, it is not the same what you get in the morning is to what you get out of an actual race. Uh, so that's the only knock on the four uh, confidence game, but they got the confidence to put him in here. Excuse the pun, uh, not racing, you know, since February, I got to give him a look. I'm not, let's put it this way. Chris, he's not going to beat me on my ticket. There's, there's going to be some <laughs> tickets that have number four on it. Cause I don't want to say, you know, I missed the Derby because I was too stubborn or pigheaded uh, <laughs> with that the two month layoff because it's just something as a, as a horseman I know is tough to overcome. Oh, there you go. Don't let them beat you. Then you feel much better about yourself there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it, when I texted Chris, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, I asked him who would be the public horses. And I kind of thought two fills just from just me listening around to shows and and stuff like that. And I, there's something that, you know, everyone's talking about. He had the highest buyer speed out of all these horses and tied with some others. If you want to look at some of the time form and some of the other, uh, you know, measurements here. But my problem with two fills is that, I mean, that he didn't race against any competition, really, I thought, you know, at the Jeff Ruby stakes. I, I personally no. did, did not see anybody that was a contender. And I mean, it, everything was just so great for him. The trip, uh, a wide open at the end. And then if you look down, I mean, he was an 86 buyers in the, uh, in the, in, was it the Risen? I, I just, I just think it was just a massive step up in competition. So I think, I just feel like everybody's going to be using two fills. I think it'd be beneficial for me to not use him, especially if he's going to drop down to eight to one or something, Marco. Yeah. Uh, two fills is an interesting horse. Uh, I, my concern is I don't like him to win, but I do think he has a legit shot of running on the ticket and it's mainly, you know, I don't want to knock the trainer and jockey, but you know, when you're new to the Derby, okay, it it is just tough. In the Derby, you've got to make so many decisions 
jockey-wise, split-second decisions. And I just don't know if this is too big of a stage for these connections this first time. That's my concern there. Now, I know, and I'm, and I'm curious to see what Chris says, um, I'm hearing a lot of buzz from people in you know Louisville and watching two fields in the morning, and he's looked incredible on the track and all of that. What, uh, what are you hearing being down there? Oh, same, same thing. I mean, he, he's someone who uh, is garnering a lot of, a lot of attention. I just, I'm just concerned just about what, what you were talking about. Now, we can say the same thing last year with those connections, winning, winning the Derby. Like, are Larry Ravelli and Jared Lubbery going to team up and win the Derby? I think the, the, a little bit too much is being made of that buyer speed figure coming off the, the synthetic at Turfway in a, a bad stakes race, a bad prep. Uh, you, if you look at the, the races at Fairgrounds, he was he, he was beaten pretty handily by by Angel Empire and Sun Thunder, by the way, who was like fifty to one in this race. Um, I don't see it. Uh, um, it, it he, or you're just talking about if confidence confidence game isn't going to beat you. Two fills is someone who, if he wins, I'm willing to accept losing <laughs> to this horse because you can't bet them all. You've got to yeah. take a stand against a couple of horses, and and, and the beauty of parimutuel wagering is you can react and look other directions as to some to, from some of these horses that are getting played. But 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 I, but I think if you look at the who the the, the bet down horses are going to be, two fills is going to be one. Angel of Empire is going to be one, and I think Dermot Sotogake is going to be one of because I because I think uh, there are a lot of people that have uh, a similar opinion, Marco, that this this horse has the best chance of all those previous UAE Derby runners to come over here and really make a, uh, a good effort. All right. Well, there you go. I, I asked you guys the sleepers. Now I just kind of want to ask who you guys are going to have kind of as your favorites to win this thing. You know, you can name two or three without giving up too much information. Of course, Marco, uh, who, who do you think is going to win this race? Who are you going to, who's the, some of the main horses you're going to use and how are you going to play this, uh, this Derby? Well, when I construct my trifecta tickets, I do construct a, a deeper ticket. Um, I'll start off with three or four key horses on that first line and then, you know, drop them down to the second line as well and then add a horse. And then I'll go pretty deep on the third line. And like I said, you can afford to do that in the Derby uh, because of the, you know, the, the potential payouts if you get one of those longer shots anywhere on the ticket. But the four horses that I think have the best chance of winning this race, uh, and those will be the horses that I'll be keying in exactas and tries. Um, Angel of Empire is the horse that I like. I think this horse is peaking at the right time. Um, you love the connections. How can you not? They're winning every big race <laughs> there is. And you look at his last race, and this is another one of those horses where I talk about you want to see one of those moves where you just sit back and go, whoa, what, what did I just see? And Angel of Empire has that. Um, Forte, you know, you got to put them on your ticket. You can't leave them off. If there's going to be a horse that's going to be overbet, um, I think Forte won't get overbet in this race because I think there's a lot of opinions here. But if he wins the Derby, he's going to be the overwhelming favorite in the Preakness. Uh, there'll be no value, and he'll probably get the Preakness because the pattern we've seen the last few years is the horse that wins the Derby, everybody's, you know, the contender skipped the Preakness 
looking to ambush people in you know in the Belmont, and that's why I think we're getting so many opportunities for triple crown horses because we get the repeat on the Preakness because the Preakness field has not been as strong. Uh, so Forte on a ticket, tap it trice. We talked about it. I think a physical, you know, specimen of a horse. I think he's the most intriguing horse uh, from a method of just looking at him and what he does on the track. And my long shot, as I said, he's 15 to one, but I don't think he's going to go off 15 to one. I think a lot of people are going to subscribe to the theory that I do. If you like Forte, how in the hell do you not like Mage at 15 to one? Okay. You're getting 5X the odds on the morning line that these two horses were separated by a head. Come on. I, they just, it's plus EV. It's one of those ones where, you know, it's like it's 1 a.m. and I'm walking out of the South Point and they got 6.99 steak and eggs. I'm really not that hungry, but it's 6.99. I got to have steak and eggs. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you're committed at that point. It's like yeah. price too good. Well, Craig, yeah. well, you, you you named three of the favorites, and I'll give you that. I'm glad that you went to Mage here because you know, uh, they're deserving favorites according to Marco here. So uh, I I don't disagree. Those are definitely going to be some heavily bet horses but uh i think some of the love spread around to some of these other horses uh will you know keep forte's price up a little bit for us chris who are yours i i I said obviously coming in how we've talked about how there really isn't a big difference between the horse who would be the favor in the morning line and some of these horses that are 20 to 1 and that's that's how i'm going to stick to betting the betting the race i think my two key horses in the race are going to be the number nine horse Skinner and the number what eighteen horse uh, Rocket Ten. Uh, they they will. I'm I'm going to key them with a bunch of other horses in uh, Exactus and Trifectus and hope for a uh, uh, the, the right outcome. Uh, it would not surprise me to see one of those two horses win. And, and, and the horse that as I go back through the PPs as I'm skimming up and down here as we as we talk about and bring certain things up. Boy, does verifying look good on paper. Mm-hmm. I, I, like he he ran too good to lose in the bluegrass. He looked like a winner, and then Tapatrice ultimately just j- just just got by him. But but if that if that pace scenario doesn't doesn't evolve, I mean, Marco was talking about it early as well. Like if the if, if the suicidal fractions and someone does get away, and we know verifying has to send from down like. Boy, at fifteen to one, that's someone I'd want on my ticket. But uh, the, the the two horses I am certainly going to use as my prominent horses are Skinner and Rocket Ken. All right, no, fair enough. And, you know, I wrote verifying hates the mud just because the rebel. So I don't know if, if he really does. I'm thinking we're going to get a dry track anyway. But um, we, I, I guess we'll see. You're right. And, and he was he was he was favored in that race. Oaklawn's a weird surface. Like there there are a lot of horses that go to Oaklawn. And don't necessarily like it, and, and to be stuck down on the inside and kind of, and kind of not really get a chance to. I, I would throw that, that. That's the thing. I would throw that race. I would throw that race out, and and I would throw the. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about someone. I'm sorry. Someone else. Someone sent me a text right now. Breaking news uh, as we're doing this. That um, Safi Joseph runner uh, is out of the race now as well. Um, Which one? Lord Lord Miles number nineteen, okay. and the other Japanese horse Mandarin Hero, uh, is just drawn in. So, 
Okay. Uh, Readjust your handicapping as is. And (laughs) Mandarin Hope, Mandarin Hope, Mandarin Hero. He is another Japanese horse that ran lights out at Santa Anita uh, and nearly got to practical move in the Santa Anita Derby when he and Skinner were, were charging late. So he's another horse now that will be a little bit more of a, a, a stalker and, and you move cycle and mischief in all those words on the outside. Now that now move one more, one more place in him. Yeah. I, I wonder if Lord miles, if something happened to Lord miles, if that is a, just a, a Safi Joseph with the unfortunate instances, instances that the, the incident rather, I can't talk right now <laughs> that he had this week with a couple of the horses breaking down. Uh, if, if that's related or not, hopefully nothing serious is wrong with the horse, but, uh, Lord Miles, who won the wood at fifty something to one, will, will not be running. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, I um, I was crossing him off anyway. He was a scratch horse, Lord Miles, for me. I don't know if he was for you, but I'm just gonna. He was a pitch. He was a pitch. Yeah. So here's my here's some of my pitches. It kind uh, my I had continuar. I had Lord Miles. Um, I had Rocket Can, but Chris has kind of talked me off that a little bit. Um, Sun Thunder, Jace's Road disarm i'm just not sure of i i kind of put him maybe he'll end up on the end of a trifecta or something another one he ran he ran in the lexington that like marco was talking about a couple weeks ago and that's it's a weird it's a weird path i mean this horse really hasn't hasn't done much yeah. to really okay okay deserve a spot here okay good so so then and reincarnate was a scratch and that's really it i kind of hit hit show just for drawing the rail but you guys made a decent case for him, so it, it, it might can, I, can I give can I give another update? By the way, yes, please. My, my, Breaking my, my, news. My buddy Tim, my we we were pondering about. Hopefully, nothing was seriously wrong with the horse. I've been told that the racing commission has said that all Asafi Joseph's horses have to be scratched. Whoa, so Whoa. that's interesting. Okay, well, that's really interesting. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, oh, they did it. To, they, did, they did it to Bob Baffert. I guess they can do it to Safi Joseph, right? Yeah, we're going to be waiting to see what what horse tested positive. <laughs> Lord Miles in, in the not. I mean, Safi Joseph. Uh, this is uh, you know I hate to say it, but uh, you know we talked about obviously what happened with Bob Baffert. But if you've watched Safi Joseph over the years, just a, a tip for your listeners: dominates Gulfstream Park. Okay, doesn't seem to have the same winning percentage when he's at any other track other than. <laughs> Gulfstream. Okay. Um, I don't know if uh, there's a little bit of home cooking down there or a little home looking the other way down there, but uh, the way Baffert dominated California, that's the way Safi Joseph uh, dominated Gulfstream. Would you look at that? Well, um, Lord Miles, we're not worried about him, but I found that interesting. So I do have to assume it might have been him, you know, in that race. Uh, I, it's just, uh, you know, why, this is the time that they would do it. Like, they test them all right where they do do they test them right before how does that work marco i'm guessing that this is going to be something from another horse okay okay they're they're going on because you if they did give the horse something you wouldn't be giving the horse the something this you know it would be something done closer to the race and they would be looking for it and again you got to know what you're looking for that's the biggest misconception about these guys when they finally do get you know, tested positive. They might have been using that same substance for months. And, you know, right. the racing commission, you know, when you draw blood or, you know, you catch the urine sample after the race, they send it to the lab. The lab can only find what they're looking for. If you don't know what 
foreign substance they're using until, you know, they finally catch somebody with the goods. Uh, you don't know how to test for it. And that's unfortunately what happens. But I'm thinking we're going to have more to this story is going to come out in the next 24 hours. And it's not going to be good for Safi Joseph. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my guess is probably related to the to the breakdowns that he had earlier in this week and and doing kind of doing a little investment. That, that will be my guess. All right. Well, I, I'll just give you one horse that – I was going to possibly use, and that's Kings Barnes. And this is usually a traditional throwaway horse that, uh, you know, I mean, he won the Louisiana Derby. But one thing I do like is how he's moving up in his buyers. He only has those three main races here, uh, you know, looking at, and I'll share my screen. But, you know, what I do like about him, he, for, for, first of all, he's a Pletcher horse. He's at a, a halfway decent price. Um, and I, I just think that if this keeps improving, maybe he's the one that benefits here, being in a pretty decent post position. So um, I, I was thinking about using him, and unless you guys are against it, uh, I like the fact that he did run the mile and a quarter. I think the horse, um, obviously, is, you know, he's three for three, lightly raced. He's racing against history. Only two horses have won the Derby that didn't race as a two-year-old. All of that said, he is absolutely bred for this race. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got a horse that, you know, Uncle Mo for the sire, and it's a tap at mare. That is one hell of a bred horse, uh, breeding-wise. Yeah. thing that I don't like, and I forgot to mention it when we talked about Angel of Empire, and I think that this is one of the reasons why Angel of Empire, the odds are going to be smaller than the morning line. I was shocked to see 8-1. to one. But this is a handicapping angle, guys. Um, the jockeys make their money by percentage of what the horse earns in the race. So a jockey's going to pick the horse uh, that he thinks has the best chance. Flavian Pratt rode Kingsbarn in his last start and was that easy win, and he's undefeated. He's not riding Kingsbarn in this race. He's on Angel of Empire, okay? So you can't get information from the horse's mouth, but you can get information from the jockey. And when a jockey has two horses available and he picks one over the other, um, trust me, he definitely believes Angel of Empire gives him the better chance of winning the Kentucky Derby. And as somebody that's been on the other side of, you know, having a jockey named on your horse and on two other horses in a race and he picks the other horse, you go, oh, shit, we don't have a chance <laughs> today, you know, but uh, that's a handicapping angle you got to look at. And that's the only thing that keeps me off of Kingsborn. Won't keep me off. He's going to be one you put on your ticket, but why I went the other direction for the win. How often does it happen where the jockey picks the other horse and the other horse wins anyway? I, I could have sworn I've seen that before. <laughs> oh, it, it happens. And it happened to me uh, with one of my horses two weeks ago. That I, there was no, I won the race and obviously I'm ecstatic, but the part of the race that was the best is the horse that we went by right at the wire. The odds on favorite was the jockey that was supposed to drive my horse. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> See you, buddy. <laughs> you effed up, buddy. <laughs> Eat my dust. That is hilarious. No, that is awesome. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just looked at the pedigree and everything. And Ortiz is not exactly, uh, you know, any, anybody new here to the Derby. So I, I figure he, he should be able to uh, be a pretty good jockey for this horse. So it's just like Chris said in the beginning, like you guys like both of you said, 
this is a, a race where you can make a lot of cases and it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. So thank you guys so much for breaking everything down here. And Marco, where could our listeners and viewers get your great information and how you're going to build your card for this weekend? Yeah, guys, we've been on a run with sports. Uh, it's been an incredible 2023 for us. So what I've done, if you head over to Wager Talk, you can look at Saturday. I've got my Kentucky Derby plus all sports access package. You'll get all of the plays in the you know hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs, in Major League Baseball. I'll put all my plays in there and my Kentucky Derby, exactly how I'm playing the race. So all you got to do is, you know, take your phone to the window and uh, – you know, copy off right there. I, you know, I, you've seen it, Kev. I've sent you the uh, over the years. You know yeah. what I tell the clients to do. It's uh, you can't screw it up, and you'll be playing the race exactly <laughs> like me. So uh, <laughs> head over to Wager Talk to check that out, and hopefully we can do what we did a couple of years ago with a, you know, bring back an eight thousand uh, dollar try and a three hundred and some dollar exact. Because those are fun days. Yes, they are. Those are certainly fun days. <laughs> Chris, over at Fox Sports, is that where we can find your column this yeah. weekend on the Derby? Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, I will have a Derby Picks column up there at some point tomorrow, uh, early, maybe even later tonight. We'll see. Uh, we'll also have some uh, some USFL picks up there. We, we, we've been uh, picking the USFL games for Fox and done pretty well so far. Hopefully that streak will continue. But, yeah, there'll be, um, there'll be Derby Picks, Derby Column, and all that stuff will be up there on Fox Sports and – We'll see if I can tweet out maybe some thoughts uh, as well throughout tomorrow, throughout Friday and Saturday. Some of the undercard races, I really haven't had an opportunity to look at the undercard races yet, but uh, I'm thinking that there will be a potential to uh, to build some pick fours and pick fives throughout the day as well. All right. Well, we're stoked for it. Make sure you guys check out Marco at Wager Talk, Chris over at Fox Sports. Thanks a lot, guys. We'll be texting. My friends, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you have any questions for the odds breakers, for any of our handicappers, feel free to email us at info at the oddsbreakers.com. I hope you win all your bets this weekend. Enjoy all the games. Enjoy the Kentucky Derby and go get some winners.